Good morning, Grace. It's good to see you on another Sunday morning, even though we're not together, we are still together. Uh, before we get started, I have a couple of announcements for you. Um, if you normally are with us on Sunday mornings, you know that after our second worship set, we tend to pass out uh, some cards and we write down our prayer requests on those cards. Uh, but since we're not together, that's um, a little bit different. And so what I just want to remind you guys to do, and then it'll be on the screen throughout this morning, and then we'll remind you again at the end, is that there's going to be a link here. And if you want to go to our website as well, there's a section there where you can uh, fill out those cards online. Uh, we still want to pray for each other uh, during this time, even though we can't gather. That is extremely important to us. And if you're new to Grace, if you don't normally come on Sunday mornings and you're joining us um, through Facebook, I would just encourage you to write your prayer requests on there. If you have any needs that we could help meet, uh, I would invite you guys to write them on there. We want to be the church uh, to our community and to each other, even during this time when we can't be physically present with each other. So I would just, as a way of reminder, uh, I would just encourage you to seek out that link and fill out those prayer cards. Uh, that's number one. And number two, uh, I would remind you and encourage you to continue to give during this time. Um, the other day I was walking through Safeway and uh, uh, I had this thought in the back of my mind as I was walking down certain aisles, I should grab this, I should grab that because I don't know when I'll be able to grab it again. And um, I, I stepped back a little bit because I was surprised at how quickly and how easily uh, that selfish hoarding mindset was, was, was entering into my mind and into my heart. It's the air we're breathing right now. This mindset that says, I have to gather, I have to get mine, otherwise I may have to go without. It's, it's literally the air we're breathing everywhere we go, whatever we look at online, um, it's everywhere. And so as Christians, we're called to have the opposite mindset. We're called to have the mindset of when others are taking, we are giving. Uh, and so generosity um, has been called the antidote, the antidote to selfishness. And so that's a big thing for us. And also we want to be able, as, we, as I said before, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community as needs arise, as needs arise in our body, we want to be able to meet those needs. And so I would just remind you, and we'll remind you again at the end, to, to continue to do those things. All right, there's our announcements for the day. I want to share something with you before we start. Uh, one of my heroes of the faith um, has done this, and I, just, I stole it from him. Uh, and so I just want to read this to you before we start. It says, To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. Welcome. Would you pray with me as we get started? Father, we come to you today uh, restless. This is not how we want to meet today. We want to be together. But Father, we know that you are here with us even now. And we thank you that even though we feel isolated, Lord, we are never alone. And we ask that you would encourage us collectively today as we 
as we hear from your word and as we worship together. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and for all that you continue to do in and through us and all around us. We love you. Amen. All right, so if you've been with us, we've been uh, walking through the Bible together as a church. We've been reading uh, through it on our own and then coming together in our small groups and talking about what we've been reading. And we've been teaching on Sunday mornings kind of about the major themes as we've been walking through the scriptures. And so with Easter coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, we want to take a break from the, the mini-series that we're in on uh, life in exile. And we're going to talk about the symbols of Christ. They're the, the things that we kind of sometimes tend to take for granted as, uh, as Christians in our lives that are symbols of Christ that he himself has given us. And so today we're going to talk about the symbol of communion. Now, uh, symbols are all around us. If we, if we stop and look, we see them everywhere from, uh, from logos uh, to things that we carry out. If I showed you a picture of um, a great big roasted turkey uh, surrounded by stuffing and green beans, and if you're my extended family, green bean casserole, as disgusting as that is, um, that's a part of our, uh, of our meal. If I were to show you that, you would know instantly, maybe a pumpkin pie, you'd know instantly what that represented. It's a symbol. Um, there are in the, if we go through our lives, we all have these types of things. Well, in our faith, we have these things as well. They're symbols of our faith, and we would call them symbols of Christ because everything about our faith revolves around Christ. And so today we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper or Communion. If you, depending on your background, you might know it as something different. It's called the Holy Communion. It's called the Eucharist. Uh, the breaking of the bread, uh, some still call it the sacrament, uh, the blessed sacrament, or even divine liturgy. These are different ways to actually talk about this idea, and we'll call it communion or just quite simply the Lord's Supper. Now, it's a symbol, so if we're going to talk about a symbol, it's important to understand what it symbolizes, okay? And so that's basically what we're going to talk about today is what this symbol represents. Uh, it's a symbol for remembering, and that's the majority of what we're going to talk about today, but it's also a symbol of pro proclamation. It's a symbol for proclaiming. But before we get to that, I want to take a step back and just talk about this idea of meals. Um, for us, in the era of drive-through, um, drive-through, uh, quick-as-you-can, instant meals, uh, we don't, we, we've lost the symbolic meaning of meals, but to, in Jesus's day, just meals in general were extremely symbolic. Uh, and there were ways that you ate and ways that you didn't eat. And as you read through the gospels, uh, specifically in the book of John, but as you read through the gospels, you see this so much of Jesus's teaching surrounded and was surrounded by meals. And so one in particular in Luke chapter seven, Jesus is invi invited to eat at a Pharisee's house, and uh, he sits down to eat at this man's house, and there's all these religious people surrounding him, and a woman enters the room who they refer to as a sinner, uh, and she pro proceeds to, to anoint Jesus' feet with uh, some expensive per perfume, and she weeps, and she cries, and then she dries his feet with her tears. And Jesus says to her, um, Go in peace, your sins are forgiven. And that caused quite a stir in the crowd that he was in. 
And if you read, again, this theme throughout the, the Gospels, Jesus is ridiculed and his messiahship is suspect and actually ultimately rejected because of his willingness, the Pharisees said, to eat with tax collectors and sinners. His willingness to break bread with people that they considered unclean or unworthy was a big part of why they rejected him as Messiah and why they killed him. And so it's really interesting for us to, to think about the Lord's Supper and all that that entails. And really what, what Jesus is saying is that the gospel is for all. The gospel is for all who would come to proclaim Jesus as Lord and King. And so that's really, really an amazing thing for us to think about. It's not just a, a religious thing that we partake in on Sunday mornings or once a month, depending on the church that you go to. It's not something that's just a religious act. It's actually a proclamation of the gospel for ourselves and for the people around us. That Jesus died for all. That Jesus did eat with tax collectors and sinners. That Jesus did uh, love the sinners. That Jesus was the friend of the people that were downtrodden and brokenhearted and were considered unclean and unworthy by the religious people of their day. So, Jesus' last meal on earth, the Passover meal, and I think sometimes we forget about that, that link, uh, the, 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 the Last Supper where Jesus actually institutes uh, communion, they were eating the Passover meal. So, we're going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians, then we're going to talk about what it is that the Passover represented. 1 Corinthians, we'll be in chapter 11. G, uh, Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the, the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he, had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after, saying, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, something that's kind of interesting is that most scholars agree that 1 Corinthians was actually probably written before any of the Gospels. So if that's true, this is the first written account that we have of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper or communion. And if we read, it's actually very consistent with the other accounts in the Gospels that we have of the Lord's Supper. Now, neither the, none of the Gospels nor this account uh, in Paul's uh, writing here in 1 Corinthians give us the full details of what Passover actually was. They actually concentrate really closely on Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper because they would have assumed that the people reading their writings um, would have known what the Passover entailed. So, uh, the Passover meal actually would begin with the host pronouncing a blessing over the first cup of red wine. And there were actually four cups of wine that they would pass around the room and each drink from throughout the meal. And there were different things that they did. They would, pass, they would, uh, they would have bitter herbs dipped in uh, a special fruit sauce that they would pass around and then they would sing hymns. Uh, then after the second cup was passed, the host would take the unleavened bread and he would break it. Then they would have the, the, the proper meal, the, right, the regular part of the meal, which consisted of the roasted sacrificial lamb. After this, the third cup was passed, 
uh, and then they would complete the hymn that they started earlier, and then they would pass around the fourth cup. Now, it was the third cup of wine that Jesus blessed that became what we know as the cup of communion, and this was referred to as the redemption cup. In Luke chapter 22, it says, Likewise, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, so right after the meal, uh, the cup after they had eaten, Jesus said, This cup that is poured out for you, this is the new covenant in my blood. And then uh, after Jesus gave some brief words of warning and instruction, in verses 21 to 38, the meal was then concluded with the singing of the hymn in Matthew. We see this in Matthew 26, verse 30. Now, as I just kind of read through that really, really quick summation of the Passover meal, some of you, as I read, are already picking up on some of the symbols. And so this is really interesting. What we see here is that the Passover meal was more than just a special meal or a festival. It was actually an elaborate teaching experience for them to remember what happened to their people long, long, long ago and what it was that they were celebrating. And ultimately, it just tells the story of God's redemptive grace in their history as a country. It's an active confession of hope that the future king would come and ultimately set them free and heal the hearts of them as a people. We can see that everything on the table is symbolic. The bitter-tasting herb was meant uh, to uh, symbolize the bitterness of their bondage in Egypt. The unleavened bread was to remind them, if you've, as we've read through the Old Testament, uh, what happened is uh, they were commanded to make bread without leaven so that when they were actually released from Egypt, they didn't have time to let their bread rise, so they took it and left quickly. And then the, sac- the sacrificial lamb, for obvious reasons, um, these are all symbols, right? In John chapter 1, um, speaking of the sacrificial lamb, in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time, what does he say? He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jews would have, would have heard those words and immediately been taken to the Passover. In John chapter 6, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with some people. And it says in verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believed in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Now, this is really interesting because if we go back a few verses, we see that this crowd of people that Jesus is talking to and who just asked him this question, what sign do you do? This is the same crowd of people when you read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So this giant crowd of people that Jesus miraculously heals immediately then after is having this, same, this conversation with him and is asking him, what sign are you willing to do? Uh, if I was Jesus, I would have said, why don't you go back an hour and remember what I just did? But that's not what Jesus does. He says, in verse 32, he says, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives to you the true bread from heaven. And so we see Jesus referring to himself as the manna uh, that they were given in the wilderness. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
So Jesus is telling us these stories. Uh, Jesus is referring back to these Exodus stories and saying, all of these things point to me. The Father has been working to save his people, and everything that he has done ultimately points to Jesus. So now we're in the Passover room, right? We're in the, the Last Supper. We, we imagine the painting. Jesus is reclining at the table with his disciples. And he picks up this piece of bread from, for, from a meal that for generations and generations would have symbolized God's faithfulness to save his people and also pointed to a future hope, right? And he, what does he say? He says, this is about me. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 26. Starting in verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Mark's uh, gospel account of this is almost word for word. And Luke has the same account as well, except Luke has this added thing. It says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Almost exactly what Paul's account said in 1 Corinthians. Now, again, remember that this is the Passover meal. And when they, when they would kill, if you go back to the, the Exodus story, when they killed the lamb and uh, they, they spread the blood on their doorposts, what it represented was that as the angel of death came through the city and came through Egypt, the firstborn of every family died unless they had the blood of the spotless sacrificial lamb painted on their doorposts. The symbolism in all of this is just so rich. And so Jesus is saying to them, just as God passed over in the Exodus story. As you drink this, which is a symbol of my blood, it symbolizes God's forgiveness of your sins through my blood. It's just an amazing way to remember not, not just the point of history when Jesus died, but all of the redemptive history that points to it as well. It's for remembering and proclaiming. Remembering and proclaiming. So Jesus in the book of Luke and Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians says that we take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Jesus and his sacrifice for sin. He's fulfilling the Passover meal. The bread that had had represented the Exodus now came to represent the body of Jesus that was broken. The cup that had represented the Lamb's blood smeared on the doorpost now came to represent the blood of the Lamb of God shed for the salvation of the world. The Old Covenant was repeatedly ratified through their sacrificial system through the blood of animals that couldn't ultimately save. If we read carefully through the Old Testament, we see that their sacrifices uh, could never save them. If we read in the book of Hebrews, we read that the blood of those sacrifices actually didn't save them. It was was a, a symbolic gesture that pointed ultimately to the blood of Jesus that would save them. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Something that's important for us to remember in all of this, and I think that we forget, is that the the, the new covenant that Jesus is talking about that's ratified by his blood uh, is not replacing a covenant of works. It's fulfilling 
a covenant of grace that was set in that was set in place years and years, generations and generations before. It's actually fulfilling the original covenant that God made with Moses, and actually originally with Abraham. The deliverance from sin to salvation, from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven. Passover has now turned into the Lord's Supper. Now, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That's a command. It's not just an invitation. It it, it is an invitation, but it's also a command from our Lord himself. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Now, um, in the Hebrew world, to remember meant much more than just to simply recall. To truly remember is to go back in one's mind and relive and retell and actually reteach through all of our senses, right? And so that's why we have this communion meal, this Lord's Supper, for us to go back and remember what it is that Christ has done for us. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we do not offer a sacrifice again. We're doing this in remembrance of what was done. Paul, uh, Paul wrote, as Christ said to him, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, we are not just remembering what he did, but also proclaiming our hope in what he will do, right? And it's not just proclamation for ourselves, it's proclamation for the world as well. That our hope lies in something greater. It doesn't lie in simply a piece of bread or a cup of wine. But our hope lies in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And our hope that he ultimately is coming back. When do we do it? Until. How long do we do this? Well, he says, until he comes. And so we do it. And we continue to do it until he comes, knowing that he will, believing his promises that he will. And so if we think about this idea of communion in the age in which we're living, right? The last month to who knows how long this will drag out. Again, we have to think about ourselves as the people of God and how we proclaim the hope that we have to the world. It's all right here. It's all wrapped up in these symbols that we're talking about. The bread that represents his body that was broken. The cup that represents his blood that was shed for us. And so because of these things, we can go to the world with hope. Regardless of what happens in the economy. Regardless of what happens with the virus. Regardless of anything else that happens outside of all of these things. Our hope lies in Jesus. So when we partake in the Lord's Supper, when we take communion together as a body, even through this technology, we understand that we were invited to join in the story of God. And this is a symbol of that invitation. It's a symbol of the invitation of Jesus himself for us to be a part of his family, to be a part of his kingdom. And when we take communion together, we are identifying as a community what it means to be as followers of Jesus. That our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our money. Our hope is not in our health. Our hope is not in our nation. Our hope is not in anything that is in our control. 
Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in something greater. I want to close with this. A passage, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Paul says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up he, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so as we, as, as we talk about this symbol of communion, as we read this passage, we see it there, don't we? Right? We see the blood of Jesus, we see his body broken, and we see the proclamation that we were saved through the blood of Jesus, through the breaking of his body, and that we now have a future hope. All of that symbolism is wrapped up in what we know as communion. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to take communion together, and then we're going to worship together. Uh, I would just invite you, if you have uh, the elements at home, to go ahead and get those ready. We're just going to pray together and we're going to take communion together as a church body and celebrate the symbol of God's love and grace for his people. Father, we love you. And we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for the sacrifice of his blood and his body for our sins. And that we can come before you in boldness, as we read in the book of, of uh, Hebrews, we can come before you in boldness because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Because of his de life, death, and resurrection, Lord Jesus, we can come into the throne room of grace. We thank you for that. And we proclaim our hope is in you alone. We thank you for this reminder that you have given us of your love and your grace, your power, your might, and your goodness and your faithfulness. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.